Philippians 3, starting to read halfway through verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then we move back to Ephesians. And we're reading from Ephesians 6, verses 13 to 17. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Christine. Good evening. Good evening. Good morning, everybody. That's a good start. I don't even know what time of day it is. Did you notice that on the, uh, the, the slide for the children leaving, it said, uh, collect them at uh, 11.55 p.m.? <laughs> so, that, you see, that's why I'm working on that time scale. Good. Well, um, welcome. We're back in this series of the, the Armour of, of God. And uh, just to recap, um, we've looked at a couple of things. Uh, we've looked at the fight. Uh, the fight is the, the context in which um, Christians uh, live and operate, the, our surroundings. Um, we also saw that Paul not only had, uh, when he was writing this in Ephesians, the image of a Roman soldier in his mind, that was definitely there, but he also had the image of Jesus as the valiant warrior who was predicted in the Old Testament. This is very much about Jesus. Um, and then uh, we talked last time about the belt of truth being that uh, part of the garment that is the foundation of everything else. You had to have your, your belt of truth on as foundational. And so now we come to the breastplate of righteousness. Um, but before we look at this, let's just take a moment to, to pray, shall we? Our God, our Father, we thank you for your word and we pray now that you would be our teacher by your spirit. We pray that you'll help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. 
For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I want to begin by asking, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, in English, when we hear the word righteousness, I think we instantly have the, the response of all oh, that sort of self-righteous, something that is rigid and uh, inflexible um, and sort of formal. We, we tend to see the word righteousness, I think, um, very negatively. And so it's important for us to understand what it really, really means. It, it can mean, actually, in, in biblical understanding, what it really means is it means to be straight um, as opposed to be crooked. And it can mean to be uh, approved um, in the sense of being pleasing, to be presentable. That's a good word, to be presentable. And it can also mean being uh, to be right with, to be right with, so it has a relational side to it, to be right with someone. So righteousness means, we could say, to be presentable in the eyes of another, to be presentable in the eyes of another. And when you think about righteousness in that way, you begin to realise that it This is something that we struggle with every day. We struggle with this kind of thinking all the time in our own lives. We all desire to be presentable, don't we? Um, To be pleasing to another. None of us want to be ashamed, do we? And exposed in front of somebody else. Think about it um, uh, relationally. Um, Think about it in the sense of... um, well, this might be, uh, for some of us, uh, years ago, um, you're interested in someone in a relational way. You, you're you're going to go on a date with them. Um, obviously, this is uh, difficult for me to remember because it's a long time ago. But um, what's your main concern? What's your main concern? Well, I think your main concern at that point is to look presentable. Um, and, of course, not just physically, um, yes, you do a, a bit of that, you know. Even I did a bit of that. But you, you think, okay, I'm not going to try and talk too much. I'm not going to do all those really bad habits uh, or just appear too weird in front of the person. So you, you cover up your flaws, don't you? You try to cover them up. Uh, and what you're doing is you're, you're trying to appear presentable. You're trying to appear righteous to the other person. You might even have a little note in your top pocket with the do's and don'ts. Or maybe that was just me. But, you know, that's the sort of thing mentally that you're, you're going through, isn't it? What it means to be presentable, to be right with this person in front of you, means that I have to somehow cover up. I want to be accepted by this person. I want to be approved by this person, I want to meet this person's standards and expectations that they have of me. That's righteousness. It's very relational. What happens if the date goes really badly? You feel ashamed. You don't meet their standards. You've not pleased them in any way. The struggle is there for all of us. It's to be presentable in the eyes of 
of those that matter. We, we do it with our spouses, we, we do it with our, our parents, we do it with our children, our bosses. It's deeply rooted in us to be presentable, to be righteous. And a lot of people are, in a sense, being run by what other people think of them. And, and, and actually, even if you get to the place where you uh, run by your own standards, as it were, what you find is that that's no satisfaction there because you find out, actually, you discover, don't you, that you don't even live by your own standards of presentability. We all struggle for righteousness. We all try putting on different breastplates, don't we? To cover up the unrighteousness, our flaws. But of course, unless God's righteousness, unless we have that, then it's never actually going to work. And we'll come back to this more. This is, this is really innate to us. This goes back right to the beginning, Genesis 2, when... God created Adam and Eve. Um, In the garden, they were naked, and what? They felt no shame, did they? In other words, they were completely presentable in front of God. Um, They were right with him. They were righteous. They, They knew who they were, and they knew who God was, and everything was perfectly presentable and right. And then, of course, we know the sin comes in, They rebelled against God and his perfect rule. And immediately they felt, what? They felt exposed, didn't they? They felt unpresentable. Is that the right word? They had to hide, didn't they? They they had to come up with a a list, so to speak, in their back pocket of do's and don'ts to, to cover up their flaws so that they wouldn't be seen. That feeling of being unpresentable um, comes from the same sin in us as well. It's the fear of being exposed, of being found out. We're desperately trying to cover up before God, whether we realise it or not. Even when we do realise it, we try to please God by doing this or Or doing that, coming to church, helping little old ladies across the road, paying our taxes, trying to be moral. We do everything we can to patch over ourselves, to put little breastplates of our own making over us so we're not exposed. We all do it. I do it. You do it. But the truth is we can do nothing to make ourselves presentable before God. So that's all about righteousness. So what's this breastplate of righteousness? The breastplate um, went from the neck to the the abdomen and and went right round the back. Of course, you don't want to get hit in the arm, do you? You don't want to lose an arm or a a leg. Um, But of course, they're only flesh wounds, as Monty Python would would say, <laughs> of course, really what matters if you get hit in um, the vital organs, of course, what, what's, it's game over, isn't it? The battle is lost. So the breastplate was absolutely vital. It was over your vital organs. Now, when we talk in English about the center of our being, the essence of who we are, our deepest thoughts and longings and values, we call that the heart, don't we? That side, that side, that side. 
We call that the heart, and that's the way we, we use language. Now, the Greek and the Romans didn't talk about the heart being the center of your being, actually. Uh, and, of course, that's caused real problems in translating um, the Bible um, down the centuries. Because whenever Paul, most of the time, talked about the heart, for example, in Philemon 20, he says, Refresh my heart in Christ. And what actually Paul is literally saying is, Refresh my bowels in the Christ. Refresh my bowels. And the word is splanchana. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it's where we get the word for spleen. So when the Bible talks about I love you from the heart, it's actually saying I love you from the bowels. But of course that doesn't sound quite as, <laughs> quite as, uh, as good, does it, as for us? And of course when we think about it, it actually makes some sense. Um, because we know that when we get emotional or we're going through something that really affects us, our inner essence, our being, yes, of course, we can get heartache. But where do you feel it the most? You feel it in your guts, don't you? Feel it in your guts. Um, I remember this feeling when I was younger, when I was about nine, I went with my father to the Norfolk Agricultural um, Show. And uh, it was very exciting. I went with him on his own overnight to stay the night. And that was one of the most exciting things that you could do when you were nine. I know that might not be that exciting to you going to an agricultural show. But I was really, really, really excited. In my inner being, I was really excited. And um, that night, I got incredible stomach pain. And I basically finished up in St. John's ambulance tent all <laughs> overnight. Because I was just basically really, really excited by it. It's hard for you to believe that. But the breastplate of righteousness, whether you're in, in Norfolk, or whether you're in modern-day London, or biblical times, covers the seat of your emotions, uh, of, of your deepest motives and, and longings, and uh, the vital organs, your guts, and... and what makes you you? The bit, actually, of us we don't want to be exposed, coming back to righteousness, the bit that we don't want to be revealed and seen for what it is, that it's unpresentable. And so what Paul is saying, the part of God's armour is essential, absolutely vital that you have this breastplate of righteousness. Now, what Paul is saying, I think is the sense of just how vulnerable we are. If you think about all, all of this, it's, it's a vulnerability. The vital organs are the seat of our very being, the way we feel presentable to the world. So it can be very vulnerable. If we don't have that breastplate of God in place, that righteousness to protect us, we're going to be terribly exposed. We're going to be in trouble. We're going to be... Um, you're going to be more than a flesh wound. Now, we must go back and remember the context of what's going on here. We said the context, the surroundings, verse 12, is the spiritual forces of evil. Namely, um, the call to stand when the devil accuses us of being unpresentable. Because the devil comes along and accuses you of being unpresentable. 
It would be so easy now at that point to misunderstand the breastplate of righteousness. And I think we all do this. Um, we, we think of it as dealing with the accusations of Satan by pointing to our own personal integrity, our own self-righteousness, to get that list back out of the back pocket and go through the things that you're trying to cover up in front of God with. And to do that. Now, if we do that, we are so doomed. We are doomed in that respect. Why? Because the evil one puts our consciousness into overdrive, into hyperdrive. We talked about that last time, how the devil keeps coming back and it keeps reminding us of things. Our conscience, though, is a good thing. It's an important thing. If you didn't have a consciousness, you'd finish up in prison, really. Um, But when it kicks into this kind of rolling over guilt, um, when when that happens to a a believer, uh, you know, you're, you're vulnerable. You're not going to be able to stand your ground. The evil one comes to you and reminds you and says things like this, doesn't it? He says, you're a failure. You've done it again. You're, you're crooked. You're, you're bent. You're, you're unpresentable. Call yourself a Christian. And you're not done what it takes, have you? He says, what right do you have to even take the name of Christian, Christian, on yourself. And that's what happens. And how, now the question is how to put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do you deal with that kind of accusation and that kind of thing? Well, you need the breastplate of righteousness. So what is that? Paul himself, if we go to Philippians now, Philippians 3, you might like to have that open. Um, Before Paul became a Christian... He was a man of integrity. He was a man who could get from his back pocket that list of things, of do's and don'ts. He would be called a moral man. He says that, doesn't he, here in Philippians 3. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, verse 5, regarding to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. And then he says, as for righteousness based on the law, he says, that he thought of himself as faultless. He was a man, before he was a Christian, who absolutely thinks that he is presentable until, of course, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the day he met Jesus, he was totally exposed, wasn't he? And he begins to see the selfishness, the greed, the self-indulgence, the self-loathing, the self-righteousness, and all the rest of it. And And no matter who we are, a point will come when the evil one will, will prick your conscience into that and it will go into overdrive, it will go into hyperdrive and you will feel the same. And when Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness, he does not mean you point to your own integrity. You don't point to your own integrity. You don't point that you're a Hebrew of Hebrews, that you're this moral person and you pull out the back pocket with all the list of things that you've done. He does not mean that. What does he mean? Again, in verse 7, he says, But whatever my gains 
Whatever was my righteousness, effectively he's saying, my integrity, whatever I used to cover up my unpresentability, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, none of us, you and I, will never be able to stand on the evil day with our own righteousness. We'll never be able to do it. Instead, you must have the righteousness that comes from God, as it says here. You must have that. And the Bible says the way you and I can stand before the Father, completely presentable and right with him, is by something called, we use, I'll use a technical word, imputed righteousness. And you say, what is that? What is the imputed righteousness of Christ? There's a picture up here to help us. I'm going to talk through it, but this might help you understand it. It's at the cross, our sins were imputed to Christ, weren't they? They were given over to him. He didn't deserve them, but he became liable for our sins on the cross. On the cross, he became responsible, if you like, for our sins. I suppose that's the bit of the gospel that we kind of get, that we probably understand the, 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 the most familiar bit. But of course, what we really need to understand is it doesn't stop there. And this is, this is where we, it gets really exciting. It's not only that our sins have been imputed to him, to Christ, but his righteousness, everything he ever did, is imputed to us. That is amazing. And I think sometimes we forget that. That means God treats us, you and me, if you're a believer, as if we've done everything that Christ did. Just as he became liable for our sins, we become liable for his perfection. You and I stand, therefore, complete in Christ. We stand completely righteous in him. That's why Paul is saying, I don't want to be found with a righteousness that is my own, that's come from my own making. That's just garbage, isn't it, he says. I will never be presentable that way before God. Putting the breastplate of righteousness on means standing in the righteousness that comes through faith in God and Christ. That's, think about it um, perhaps like this. I, I sometimes think when we talk about this, it's kind of hard to sometimes get our heads around. But let's get, think about it relationally again. Think about it like this. God said, didn't he, to Jesus. He said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said that, didn't he? In Christianity, that moment we believe God gives Christ's perfection, his performance, Christ's perfect performance to us as if we were his own. 
And therefore we're adopted, aren't we? We're adopted as his sons and daughters into his family. And that means, in other words, God says to each of us, if we're a believer, just as he said to Jesus, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. He says that to you. You see what he's saying? Righteousness isn't just a kind of thing that is added or attached to you. No, you actually become righteousness through faith in Christ. And God can say to us, you are my son, you are my daughter, I am well pleased in you. And when God sees a Christian, a believer, he sees Christ. The righteousness that comes from God. And think about just what wonderful news that is. Just the depth of the good news that that is to us. Think about the freedom that comes. The the power that comes over us from the accusations from the evil one. Um, You know, somebody, you might be sitting there thinking, somebody might say though, but what if if I continue to, to sin? What if I continue to do things? That are not right. Shouldn't I, shouldn't I feel bad about it? How can I just turn and say I, I don't need to feel guilty? Well, you d- there is an appropriate place for guilt, isn't there? We said that earlier. But we must remember, we must remember guilt is a, a healthy emotion. It's what leads to repentance that turns around and turns us back to God. But... The devil will always try to switch on that hyperdrive thing, that hyperdrive thing that makes us churn over something that may have happened years and years and years ago and tells you to keep looking at that guilt. That's what the devil wants you to do, to keep looking at it. Look at what you've done. God wants nothing to do with you. And, and we, so we go and hide and we try and get out of them. We try to cover up. That what we need to understand in that moment is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when it convicts us, when he convicts us, doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't the exact opposite. He will say, you know, yes, it's a sin. So you must go to him. You must go to him. You don't go and hide The evil one will say, this is a sin that you've done, so you better cover up and you better go and hide from him. The Holy Spirit says to us, yes, you've sinned. Yes, he wants to see you. He wants to see you. And when you come to him, when you you come to him in faith, what does he say? He says, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. I'm not pleased, yes, of course, with the, the sin you've done, but I'm pleased with you. Christ died for you. He died on the cross for you. You no longer need to be ashamed. You are my son, my daughter in Christ. And so when we realize that, and we just realise how much we are, are loved in Christ, when we realise the righteousness of Christ, that that is ours, 
And that is how God sees us. I think that when we really meditate on that and think on that and reflect on that, it really breaks the power of sin. It breaks the power of the evil one. We see the beauty of Christ. We see the love of God. The one who has made us right with himself. That's made us presentable before our Heavenly Father. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we sometimes find it really hard to understand um, righteousness. And Father, we thank you that um, when we think about it in relational way, we realize that it is Christ Jesus that's made us right with you. That we don't need to try and cover up, put many breastplates on to cover up. And we pray that we will put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is, is your son and his righteousness. That we may know the depth of your love for us and that we live in that. So when the devil comes and accuses us of this, tries to tell us to go away and run and hide, we pray that we will just turn to Christ confess our sins, and come back home, knowing that we are sons and daughters, deeply loved by you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.